Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't mean anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None of this is possible. It's Steve! It's Steve! <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Winging It with Zakawani. I am Steve Zakawani, and we've got two shows for you this week. This is the first of two. Um, this will probably be the shorter version of the two. No guest today. And later this week, I will be joined by a man who needs no introduction. Mr. Sounder himself, the one, the only, indestructible Zach Scott. He'll be here to kind of catch us up on what he's been doing since retiring and obviously recap some of the great things he did in his career. And he'll help me preview the derby against the Portland Timbers. Couldn't think of a better guy to do that with. I'm going to have to bring my shin guards in because I don't know if Zach's going to keep hitting me like he used to, but looking forward to that. So no guests on this podcast, but join us again later this week where I'll be sitting down with the one and only Zach Scott. Only one place to begin, really, and that's this game this past weekend. Uh, And I said it before, when you draw a game, sometimes it feels like a win, sometimes it feels like a loss. A draw doesn't feel like a draw. There's no draw feeling. You either feel like you've gained a point or you feel like you've lost two points. And it's safe to say that the Sounders definitely feel as though they lost two points. If you never went to the game and you just came back home, picked up the stats and had a look. Possession, Seattle, 65%. Shots, Seattle, 17 to Columbus's five. Those two stats alone, you'd think, oh, Seattle must have won 2-0 or 3-0. Or if they didn't win, they were extremely dominant. But that's not really the case. Because what really took place down on the pitch, if you were at the game, then you probably left there extremely frustrated. The stats that do stand out is, yeah, 17 shots, but only one on goal. Zach Steffen never really had to work hard. He made a save from Clinton Dempsey off the Will Bruin kind of cross. And apart from that, he, I would say, had a very comfortable afternoon. Another stat that stands out is zero offsides, and I will touch on that, and you'll see why. That's a very, very mind-boggling stat for me. Before we kind of assess and analyze the Sounders, let's give the crew some credit. They were very good tactically before and after 10 men. That team moves the ball as well as anyone in this league. They might not have the star power of some of the other teams, the Atlantas or even NYCFC and LAFC's attack to a certain point. But in terms of being coached to move the ball and tactically the way they're set up, the positions the players take up on the pitch, you do have to give Greg Berhardt some credit because they were very impressive before the 10 men. And even when they went down to 10 men, especially in that first half, they had the better chances. They had the better chances. With 10 men, the Columbus crew were more threatening than the Sounders. GRC Zardes, who has been in good form this year, should have had one, maybe two, was put clean through by Ricardo Clark on one occasion, Iguan on another occasion, and he fluffed his lines. He puts that away, then it's a really, really bad afternoon. But that team has a distinct style that they play no matter what. It's just the way the Columbus crew set up. They send their outside backs very high. 
Higuain tucks inside. He plays underneath the forward, who likes to make slashing runs in behind, has a lot of pace as Ardes, and he really did pose the Sounders a lot of problems. And they were down to 10 men. They just became very, very extra organized. They were a great block. They were moving and forcing the Sounders to have to work extra hard to break them down. The crew did well. Give them credit. But if we're going to be honest and fair and analyze for the Sounders, and what I'm going to say isn't breaking news, but it simply wasn't good enough. Before the game, on our pregame show on the TV, I spoke about the Sounders needing to get width, ideally from Kelvin Leardam and Luhu, get the ball wide and get crosses into the box. But I said that assuming that that would be one of the ways in which they could attack. Because you also have to have a threat in behind, getting, making runs in behind the defenders, forcing them to turn and face their own goal. You also have to try and possess the ball and play little one-twos up through the middle. In other words, have multiple ways to attack. But as Will Bruin put it so well, everybody in the stadium knew what we were trying to do. And that was to get the ball wide and try and get crosses into the box. And the way the crew was set up, they were built to defend that, were rarely troubled. And they had a very comfortable afternoon. There was no variety in the Sounders attack and play. That's why zero offsides is concerning. Because if Jordan Morris was playing, I'd expect to see two or three offsides because that would be one way they try to attack. Offsides sometimes just mean you're trying to make that run in behind and the pass is a bit too slow or the run is a bit too early. That happens sometimes. Zero offsides means everything was pretty much in front of the Columbus Crew defense. Very rarely did their centre-backs have to turn and face their own goal, running back towards their own goal, which defenders hate. So the Sounders just lacked variety in attack. At times, it looked devoid of ideas. And as the clock ticked and ticked and inched its way closer to the 90th minute mark, you just sensed that the Sounders believed this isn't going to be our day. This won't be our day. And you never want to get to that point. Defensively, again, mostly good. As I mentioned, Zardes got in a couple of times, but that is a good team with some good players. Iguain is a special, special player. And at least he was worth the price of admission. Very fun player to work. So with him on the pitch, his teams will create chances. But defensively, the Sounders were mostly good. If you can take positives from that kind of game, you look at Kim Kihi, another pretty solid defensive outing for him. He did well there. But it's this attacking group, which on paper, just the names, it's pretty good. Definitely better than what they've shown, but just yet to figure out exactly how to be dangerous. One shot on target with 75 minutes playing a man up, it's not good enough. Clint Dempsey, Will Bruin, these are double-digit scorers in MLS. But so far this year, the Sounders just don't look like they have many ideas to break teams down. When plan A doesn't work, what's plan B? What's plan C? What's plan D? Good teams have plans A through Z or Z. But the Sounders just seem to run out of ideas, and that was probably the most concerning thing. So where do we go from here? Are these guys we're watching on the pitch, are they now bad players? I will never go as far as to say that because there's something called form and there's something called class. Form is temporary. Class is permanent. These aren't bad players at all. They're just out of form. 
And the hope you have to hold on to is that at some point, the form will be rediscovered. There's no way I can sit here and look at Clint Dempsey, 35 or not, and not think he can still play in Major League Soccer. Of course he can. Just not in his best form right now. Will Bruin. Nicola Dera when he's played. You can go through the whole list of players. Roman Torres at times. They just haven't hit the heights we're used to seeing them hit. The hope has to be at some point they'll rediscover their form. And they're going to need to. Because this week doesn't get any easier. Toronto FC away. Portland Timbers away. Two very tough games. Lots of travel. Coming off the back of a couple of bad results. It's not going to be easy. The Sounders, you can expect them to probably rotate their team somewhat, give some guys a rest, can't play three games in a week, a few of the players there. So it could get worse again before it gets better. But when you throw tactics out of the window, throw everything out of the window, what it comes down to is the players on the pitch have to play better. There's only so much a coaching staff can do, only so much Brian Schmetzer can say. He tried things. He bought on Handwala Barna at the weekend because his skill set is different to what the guys on the pitch had. Columbus crew are very well organized. Well, Handwala can dribble. He can beat guys off the dribble. He has a quick first step. He can get around the corner and get crosses into the box. That was the hope. Didn't happen. Columbus won that battle. It's not a coaching thing. That's just players have to play better once they're on the pitch. So Saturday wasn't good enough. This week could get worse before it gets better. Several players are out of form at the same time. And that's not good. But the hope you have to hold on to is that it takes one win, it takes one goal, it takes one good play to kickstart form. And I speak from experience. I've been on teams that have been in bad stretches. I've been, as a player, three, four bad games in a row and then I have a really good game and my season turns around. That's the hope you've got to hold on to. We'll be back to preview a little bit more of the TFC game. We'll take a couple of questions from you, as always. And I will end with my big three things. I'm Steve Zakwani. This is Winging It with Zakwani. We'll be right back. We were too slow. We moved it too slow. We were too predictable. Um, we just we didn't even try to play through the final third. We, I think everybody in the stadium knew we were going to get it and try to push it wide and try to cross it. You know, you, you got to find other ways to create chances, and you know we just we just haven't been able to do it. You know, we got to be willing to take chances. You know, we got to get some creativity, some flair. It's got we got to have move the ball quicker. Like I said, we got to pass and move. We got to try things. I think we're too caught up with playing the simple pass. And you know, I'm not going to make the mistake. I'm just going to move it to the next guy. And you're not going to score like that. It's so easy to defend. And that's a prime example tonight. Welcome back. This is Winging It with Zakawani. Let's get to just a couple of questions here. Um, this is a question I've got quite a bit over the past couple of weeks, and it's to do with Christian Rodan as a number 10. Uh, it's a role he's played at times in his Sounders career, but with quite a lot of success, actually. And so is it time to make Rodan the permanent number 10? If I look at the depth chart and I look at that team, you know, the first kind of number 10 I look at is Nico Lodero. That's just what he is. He might start on the right-hand side usually, but he's going to roam inside and, you know, nobody can pick out a runner quite like Nico yet. So that's my number 10. 
second going down that list, it's you know, if you're not playing Clint Dempsey at the nine, you're playing at the ten. But Christian Rodan is right up there. And I think there will be games this year, whether Brian Schmetz is rotating the squad or a certain particular opponent plays a certain way and he wants Christian in there. And I think there will be times when you'll see him in there more often than not. And Christian isn't a number 10 in the traditional way. He's not going to get on the ball and thread passes behind the back line and, you know, be a playmaker. But what he does is he's very active. He moves that defensive midfielder a lot of his off-the-ball running. He runs off the forward really well. He makes runs in behind. He's strong. He holds the ball up well. And once he gets around the 18-yard box, he's now proven he can finish. Christian can absolutely finish once he gets in and around the 18-yard box. So I don't see a reason why we would not see him there more often. Brian Schmetz is a much better coach than I am. So I'm sure he's already thought of ways in which he can get Christian Rodan more and more into those positions. So I absolutely um, expect to see that. Another question here. What is going on with Wolf Ikram? Why was he not in the team, even with Nico Lodero out? Well, I can't answer why he wasn't in the team. What I will say is when you're a professional soccer player, you're on a professional team. Uh, throughout the week, there's a lot that happens in training. And then, you know, throughout the month, a lot that takes place in training. So as fans, sometimes you come to the game on the weekend and you have a picture of what the player can do. You know their ceiling and you expect to see them out on the pitch due to that. But with that said, sometimes a player's out of form. Sometimes someone's outperforming that player. Sometimes the way the team's playing and what the team needs is very different to what that certain player's skill set is. It's not always that that player isn't good enough to be in your 11. It might just be the way you're lining up your team isn't going to work. When I was returning from my injury in 2012, this is right as I was kind of forcing my way back into the lineup, and I started to train really well. And wasn't quite back to pre-injury form, but was, again, the best winger on the team at that point coming back. And there was a couple of games where Ziggy had played, you know, Brad Evans at left mid or right mid and Christian Tifa, remember him, on the wing as well. And, you know, I wasn't happy because I'm like, those guys aren't better wingers than I am. And I went to see Ziggy and his reasoning was, of course, I'm not going to get from them what I get from you as left wingers. But what the team needs right now is to keep a couple of clean sheets, build some confidence. And I just know those guys will give me more defensive cover. Don't, I don't have to agree with that, but I understood the reason. So I think Wolf Eichram is in a bit of that spot. He's a talented player, has talent, but what the team needs this very second. Brian Schmetzer and coaching staff obviously feel they're getting more from Alex Rodan. That could change but it's where things stand right now. Big three things. Number one, this week's expectations. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this week because I thought about this week a couple of weeks back. I looked at Toronto, I looked at Portland on the schedule, and I said, yikes, that's a tough week. Going to Toronto, who seem to have rediscovered their form. The Champions League's out of the picture for them. They're focused on MLS. They've had a rough start, but it's been understandable. And they looked good in the last game against Philadelphia. Um, Giovinco had a Giovinco-type goal. So 
this is a team that would worry me going up there. The last two times Seattle have been up there, Toronto's absolutely dominated. One time Seattle left with the MLS Cup. We can never forget that. But then last year's final, obviously, it was all Toronto. So there's a bit of a worry there. However, there have been games in the past where you go into it expecting to just get crushed and the team can pull out the result. So that could happen. You couple that with a quick turnaround going down to Portland and that's where form goes out of the window. A rivalry game, a derby game, oh, you just play. It doesn't matter who's where in the table, who's high, who's low, who's up, who's down. That's just going to be a dogfight. That's just going to be a game. And if that game can't get you up and motivate you, then you're in the wrong business. So I do expect this team has pride. This team has pride. But six points from these two games is probably not the expectation. It's MLS. It's away from home. You're not in great form. You're playing two decent teams. One is probably arguably the best team in MLS history, this little stretch they've put together the past few years. So it could be a case of bracing ourselves for a long week. Three points, we will take that. Four points would be great. If you leave with zero points, you're obviously in a very tough position. So I would say for this week, the expectations are if you can win one of these two games or avoid defeat in both, emerge from this, come up for some air, and then prepare for the next stretch, it's what the sound has got to do. You've got to go one step at a time. The second thing, number two, I've been thinking also a lot about just cycles in sports. And what I mean by that is there's been great teams in all of sports, but nothing lasts forever in this sport, in any sport. The Sounders have been to back-to-back MLS Cup finals. That's not easy to do. The way this league is set up, it rewards a four-week stretch of form more than an entire regular season. And the Sounders have capitalized on that. They've played the game. Back-to-back MLS Cup finals don't just happen. I think of the best team I've seen with my eyes, and that's Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, who came here in 2009. I was fortunate to be on the pitch with them, play against them, and that was kind of at the beginning of their run. Between 2009 and the next four seasons, the four-season run they had there, they won everything you can win in the sport. They won the Champions League two out of four years, both times against Manchester United. They won the league three times. They won the cup three times. They won the Spanish Super Cup, the Club World Championship. The list goes on. It was like 19 trophies in four years. At the end of that fourth year, they were knocked out of the Champions League by Chelsea, who were having a horrible league campaign. Messi missed the penalty. And after that game, Pep Guardiola announced that he was stepping down, said he was exhausted, he was burned out. This is the best team in the world, playing the best football I've ever seen. And after four years, that coach was done. That was their cycle. They were done. In other sports, the Chicago Bulls with MJ, three championships. He takes a break to go play baseball, comes back three more championships, and then they were done. Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State have been to three straight finals. Probably won't be a fourth this year because Cleveland doesn't look too good. Their run might be over. Golden State won't maintain this forever. Closer to home, the Seattle Seahawks. They went back-to-back Super Bowl finals, I believe. And since they lost the one against the Patriots, they haven't quite been the same. They've now struggled. They've blown up their team. Great teams have cycles. LA Galaxy made three out of four MLS Cup finals. 
I played against that team at the peak of their powers. David Beckham, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan at the peak of their powers. That club never made the playoffs last year. Not many years ago, they were in three or four MLS Cup finals. Players get old. Players lose form. Injuries happen. Other teams get better. They make signings. They adjust. They improve their tactics. They want to take you down. The hardest thing in sports to sustain is success. So two back-to-back MLS Cup finals can't be taken for granted. It's unprecedented. It's more than we could have asked for. And to get a trophy out of those, can the Sounders push it and make it three? I hope they can. But these things in sports aren't guarantees. And some of these great teams I've mentioned, the New England Patriots, who've been winning Super Bowl since I can remember, since I've arrived in this country 10 years ago. But if you look at their history, they've had gaps where they've gone through down years. So not to excuse the Sounders at all, but perspective is you're not going to win every year. There are cycles. I don't think the Sounders are at the end of their cycle. They've got quite a few key players who can still contribute at a really high level. So they are right now underachieving. But just look down the road at the neighbors, the Seahawks, and you can see how quickly things can go from north to south. Number three, DP. DP, DP. That's the buzzword. That's the keyword. Everybody's asking. We need a DP. We need a DP. And I understand the idea of DP. It doesn't exist anywhere else in football in the world. But I get what we mean when we say DP. That player who can make a difference. That player. Watching a game on Saturday against Columbus Crew, there was a time about the 60th, maybe 70th minute, I looked on the pitch and I said, this is where you just need that guy. And who's that guy? It's the guy who's going to say, all right, everything we've tried hasn't worked. Give me the ball. I'll take over. Just pass it to me. I'll handle this. Oba. Robbie Keane. Giovinco, David Villa, players of that caliber who the tactics you set your team up for just aren't quite working. The other team's defending you really smartly, but they create a goal out of nothing. They pick the ball up outside the 18-yard box. They beat the defender, put the ball in the back of the net. Nothing that came from the training pitch. It wasn't rehearsed. They just have quality. There'd be games in the past, the teams I was on with the Sounders where very early on, especially my first year, our first year as a club, where we might not be playing well, but Freddie Montero can shoot from 35 yards into the top corner. And suddenly we're 1-0 up, or we've brought ourselves back into the game with that goal. Then as we went further and further, there was times in games when, I remember specifically a game against the Chicago Fire at home in 2011, my third year, and I happened to score a goal, one of my favorite goals in my career, but it came out of nothing. We built from the halfway line, and I just said, no, I'm going to go on the dribble. And I'm just going to try and make something happen. So you need players who are willing in those moments to take over. And that's why I think when we think the Sounders need a DP type player, it's not just any DP. There's been DPs in this league who've been horrible. The Sounders haven't always got it right with DP. So it has to be the right player. But if that game on Saturday did anything, then it showed us the type of player needed. It's someone who can make something out of nothing who can elevate the team, take the team on his back, turn that dire 0-0 draw 
into a 1-0 win and three points through a moment of magic. Maybe it's a free kick. Maybe it's a shot from 35 yards. Maybe they beat two or three players and just make something happen. Drive the team forward. That's what I got out of the game this weekend. That's the need. That's the missing piece right now. In an ideal world, the Sounders would find that guy. And fingers crossed, it happens after the World Cup. As you know and I know, general manager Garth Lagoway alluded that that's where the team is looking. They're going to bring in a big-name player. We'll be back later this week to hopefully recap a good result in Toronto, but definitely preview the upcoming game against the Timbers. I'm Steve Zakwani. This has been Winging It with Zakwani. Talk to you later this week. Mm-hmm.